any other news? Anything you want to mention before we start the formal meeting? No, Andrew's probably got something. <laughs> From what I heard through the text. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had another um, pretty profound journey on Friday. That was um, pretty interesting. I'm not sure yet how to uh, to characterize it, but there was a definite... Um, experience of feeling outside of space and time for sure definitely felt interdimensional um also incredibly positive um similar in some ways to uh, that previous experience and then also very different in a lot of ways um <clears throat> it was almost a rebirth in a way is sort of how it felt because i got to the point where every word that I was saying felt like a brand new discovery. I was literally rediscovering language from the ground up. And so concepts and things that I had typically known were, were gone and foreign. Um, but it didn't, it didn't bother me at all. It all felt um, wonderful. Like literally, like I was just in wonder at discovering every new thought. And a lot of the thoughts seemed to be almost evasive. And that's what was so weird. I was like, I had this this knowing that there's this function, this cognitive ability that's normally really present and, and sharp. And yet, as I'm trying to find words, literally had the sense that they're sort of moving around and, um, and evading my, uh, my awareness. So it was pretty, pretty fascinating. Just to announce to everybody again that um, yeah, Nathan can't make it this time because his brother passed away. So we send our thoughts and prayers to Nathan and his family. Um, and Nathan has had proposed that we talk about hood. And it's interesting, you know, initiation can come in many forms of intense life experience. And that's one of the things that we talked about covering today. Yeah. Um, so maybe I could even ask what, so there's an element to me that, um, you know, I, I don't know if um, calling myself an adept or saying I'm seeking adepthood is itself a distraction because of the fact that, you know, who is this seemingly separate person who isn't just um, just a humble seeker, you know, and then the, the end goal is is the one infinite creator, which is also something we'll talk about the, the difference between the, the creator, and the individual. Um, but do you have, do you guys have any thoughts on the, just the, the word itself? What, what is an adept? I tend to think of the adept as <clears throat> the being who is intentional about progressing on the path, which happens regardless. The, the path will progress. It's just a matter of um, how efficaciously we go about doing that and how challenging or difficult or how repetitive those lessons are that we need to, to deal with the the adept is um, I see as the alchemist more or less um, somebody who's decided that they can figure this out and is going to get real deliberate about doing that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The uh, and uh, was it Trish said it too? Someone seeking the creator consciously. I think that the the problem that um, when you have this conversation with people where it can get lost in translation is you're saying the adept which just the word, at least in my mind, kind of has this um, like a master electrician. They've already done the learning and now they're a master electrician, but an adept 
just means that you're going through the seeking process. It doesn't mean that you're already there. And I think that some people get hung up on that. Like, oh, you consider yourself an adept. You're already above everything. And like, no, no, an adept is someone that's in the process of seeking. And it's like, they say this, that playing the sitar is the lesson of a lifetime. No one ever becomes a master of the sitar. You just get better and better and better at it. Yeah, I, I would agree that adepthood though is, is on the way to self-mastery. I'm not yeah. sure what the the line is whether that's harvestability or you know whether we want to try to describe that metaphysically but i would say that um the adept certainly um probably has a more um a stronger sense of how much they don't know i imagine um than the master by the time you become a master you probably then know everything i imagine um so yeah that would probably be one differentiating quality yeah and a person can be an adept at different things so i guess clarifying that well for example in the the, the quotation about the transformation of the spirit they say that what we're doing is we're um disciplining our consciousness by will and faith so the the desire for discipline seems to be the core of what we're talking about with with this this quest for seeking the creator yeah i was going down the rabbit hole of the discipline personality a little bit because that was mentioned in um, one of the passages that you provided so i went and searched on just that because they had mentioned something about as we've mentioned about the discipline personality and i tried to get a better understanding of what that is and um I think Don took a, a swing at it and Ross said maybe close but no cigar and um, we could jump into that one actually to start with that might be good to start with I was going to start with the uh, energy center systems initially but I think this is probably a simpler um, which one was that now 74 74 11. so they had mentioned the disciplines of the personality I think before this time um, they did and uh, i think this was more of a clarification though when they when they said it this way so i'll just read this one so don asked what what i'm trying to get at is how these disciplines affect the energy centers and the power shall i say of the white magician can you tell me how that works ross says the heart of the discipline of the personality is threefold one know yourself two accept yourself three become the creator and i think we might have even referenced this at the, at the very first um episode of this where we talked about the um session five where they talked about the um the importance of balancing and the, the first step in balancing is um knowing the self and understanding that balance needed through um, understanding the emotions that that you're going through and understanding that there's an opposite to that so i think that was a part of the knowing knowing the self um and then accepting the self was also included in those balancing exercises so it's knowing the self accepting the self and then the third step, becoming the creator, is a little bit more um, <laughs> esoteric, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say it seems a little nuanced there. Yeah, <laughs> well, and I also think that, that this is a good way of them saying that, like, the adept is a work in progress because you never become the creator until you're done this journey of individuality. You know, this whole journey of witnessing consciousness at play through one individual uh lens 
you know, while still being a portion of the creator, you know, it's not over until it, or you can't actually become the creator fully until you, you know, go back to that, that realm. I think that step two there, accepting the self is also a big differentiating factor between the adept and your average person, because they're, they're not very accepting of the self or other selves, which two halves of the same coin. So they do, they do cover the third step here. They say the third step is that which when accomplished renders one the most humble servant of all transparent in personality and completely able to know and accept other selves. So we could stop right there and, 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 and say that it seems like, you know, a person who's an adept at being a servant of all might not look like they're, they're trying to be the best at anything. They may look like they're just trying to be of service. Yeah. What do you mean? What do you suppose transparent in personality means? Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> well, it's interesting that we could ask, well, I think at another point in the material, they say a transparent personality allows someone else to see themselves in that person. And it could, it could mean that that's seeing God. Um, and that, that's probably a study in itself. I wonder how, how many places they use the word um, transparent. But, but, but one way I look at it is that every distortion in our energy centers is probably like an, an aspect of opaqueness. That right. there's there's something we cannot see through because we're looking at some belief and separation that is manifest, and I so see. when you're seeing through that that separate identity, you're seeing yourself in them, you're seeing the creator in them, and you see that this is actually you. But that could just mean a person who's full of love and not blocked by anything. Yeah, I tend to wonder if this affects how we see other people. I think I've probably mentioned this recently or or in other contexts, but in recent years, I've begun to find people so much nicer. And I've started to wonder recently if that's my ability to see that that's changed. It's not that people are getting nicer. It's that that's now what I'm more aware of than than anything else and i think they reflect back onto you as you become a more loving uh you know if you want to use the word nice how whatever word you want to use as you become more of that you radiate that out and then it allows people to radiate that back you know if you if you come into situations and you're not trying to hide anything you know you're transparent you you're showing all your cards on the table you, you lack things that other people might have, you know, like guilt and, and uh, a lack of love for, the, for themselves. And when you go through life with that as your, you know, your persona, your front facing bit that you meet the world with, then they look at it and, they, you know, people see it, whether they perceive it consciously or not, people see that. And when you're completely transparent and you, you have that you know, just overwhelming sense of well-being about yourself and the world and all that, you put that out into the world and you definitely receive it back. Yeah, I think the transparency <clears throat> is an effect of the acceptance, actually, if you think about yeah. it, because the opposite of transparency in your personality is that which you would hide, and mm-hmm. you would hide that which you don't accept. Yeah. So as you accept the self, then transparency of personality emerges. Yeah, you drop all that guilt and, and all that crap that you were not transparent about. 
Right. It, to me, it, it's, it says vulnerability. That's what transparency of personality is. But vulnerability is one of those things that, that I think don't actually exist. Um, or to fully embrace vulnerability is actually to understand yourself as, as perfectly invincible. And, and therefore, you know, there's, there's nothing that you can't expose because you, you're impervious to attack. Yeah. So we can dive in more to uh, where they're going with this. Yeah. Um, in relation to the pursuit of the magical working, the continuing discipline of the personality, the continuing discipline involves the adept in knowing itself, accepting itself, and thus clearing the path towards the great indigo gateway to the creator. So when they reference indigo here, they're talking about the third eye uh, chakra. So they're suggesting that knowing the self, accepting the self is clearing out the, the chakra blockages, I guess, that, that would lead up to the great indigo gateway to the creator. Um, to become the creator is to become all that there is. So I guess they're likening becoming the creator to fully activating the energy center system, the chakra system, and opening the gateway to intelligent infinity. Um, so to become the creator is to become all that there is. There is then no personality in the sense with which the adept begins its learned teaching. As the consciousness of the indigo ray becomes more crystalline, more work may be done, more may be, more may be expressed from intelligent infinity. Wow. There's then no personality in the sense with which the adept begins its learned teaching. How do you interpret that? I've, I've, that's like, you know, the, the energy center system is completely cleaned. And what is a personality even? A personality is the distortions. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's sort of the annihilation of, of the ego is what it. I think yeah. that's what you were talking about at the beginning. Yeah. In the middle of your journey, you know, you were, you were, you were that. You were no personality and you, but you still had this distant connection to the personality. Right. So it that's, that's where the whole, that's where the whole, like, I know, I know these words and I'm going to use these words to, to put my thoughts out into the universe, but how do I know these words and what do these words mean? And I think that's, that's where the disconnect between the personality and uh, no personality was you were, you were almost in that juxtaposed position where you, you were you were closer to no personality, but beginning to remember personality. Yeah, and I would I would say that was certainly very present during my last major experience. Um, that was also the case when when that energy was present. There was there was a very um, there was very much a void or an absence of of self and and other energies. So let's let's dive into more of what they say about the indigo. I feel like that's kind of central to this discussion. Um, so in session 39, they were they were asked about the um, the evolution of the bodily energy centers. Um, could you describe the process of evolution of these energy centers? And we can skip ahead to um, the indigo right here, although maybe we could, I think we touched on this in a previous um, recording too. Um, well, we can start with the green right here. They say the, um, 
when the green ray has been activated, we find the third primary ray um, being able to begin potentiation. Um, this is the first true spiritual ray in that all transfers are of an integrated mind-body-spirit nature. The blue ray seats the learned teachings of the spirit in each density within the mind-body complex, animating the whole, communicating to others this entirety of beingness. And then the indigo ray, though precious, is that ray worked upon only by the adept, as you would call it. So you have to be seeking and discipline way in order to get to the work with the third eye, it would seem. Um, you know, I want to, I want to agree with that. And yet it seems in my experience, I know a lot of people who seem naturally open and have a pretty active third eye experience, though I would say that, you know, statistically just as many of them are not seekers as are um well maybe they're not really working on it they're just they're just using it as it was yeah. the distorted form yeah i can yeah. see that mm -hmm. doesn't don't they mention that at some point where they talk about there are two two ways to use uh there are two ways to do something and they reference uh don and the group as one one that actively seeks and one that does it, and then one that just kind of falls into it. Am I, am I remembering this correctly? At some point, say that again. So at some point in the in the sessions, they say something like they differentiate between people that are actively seeking and trying to use uh, that knowledge to better uh, the planetary vibration, and some people that just kind of fall into it, and they may not be actively using it in in any way shape or form i think i have a vague memory of that yeah because they actually refer i think Ra actually references the group he says there are two ways to do it one is the way that you guys are doing it where you're actively seeking but i can't remember exactly where it is but I, it, it it it's somewhere in there and, and it's i think it speaks to what andrew's saying that you know some people just kind of and and i think that that might even be a working of people's past you know, past selves where they they came into a body that was kind of already two steps ahead in the process. And without even knowing it, they're kind of going through the process. Like your higher self chose it for you, for you, this incarnation before you're even aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely um, a discussion of that where before people were born, they can be un unable to understand their lessons. And then the higher self is doing more of that heavy lifting of the programming until a person can take the reins and and start to choose consciously that they want to evolve in a particular way. Yeah. So um, back to the discussion of the the indigo ray. Um, it is the gateway to intelligent infinity, bringing intelligent energy through. This is the energy center worked upon, and those teachings considered inner, hidden, and occult. Where this ray is that which is infinite in its possibilities. As you are aware, those who heal, teach, and work for the Creator in any way which may be seen to be both radiant and balanced are those activities which are indigo ray. So heal, teach, and work for the Creator. And radiant and balanced. 
So do you have any examples of who, who are the radiant people in our society? I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of people fall into a lot of roads that have already been well-traveled. Um, and some there are some um, Christian teachers, for example, who are like completely broken away from mainstream Christianity. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a fun person named Kevin Zadai, for example, um, that my uncle talks about, um, who had this crazy um, near-death experience where he went to heaven and he met Jesus and he's, he comes back and he's getting like downloads all the time. And he has like a different perspective on like a lot of aspects of, of uh, Christian teachings and theology. But, but it's interesting how, um, you know, there's, there, there's kind of like some, some barrier that people get past where you're no longer just trying to go through the motions and you're actually, you're, you're like co-creating our, the reality because of this inspirational energy that's coming through you. So I think there's a lot of teachers who've reached that stage. Yeah, I feel like <clears throat> radiance has as much to do with um, sort of the broadcast really that you're in, in doing your healing or your teaching or your work. Um, like maybe almost literally, are you, um, are you doing this with the intention of this vibration, you know, going out or do you have any fear around that like if you're a healer who's also afraid of, of judgment or things like that you may not be as radiant because you might be trying to hide what it is that you're doing the balanced aspect is also pretty interesting because i i wonder sort of which polarity they might be referring to with this type of balance if this is for example the balance between mercy and justice or um, love and severity on the tree of life, then um, that's kind of interesting because I normally think of, you know, complete selflessness almost, you know, to the to the degree of martyrdom in in giving and being in service. Though um, the tree of life teaches that being imbalanced toward that distortion is uh, weakness, is you know the word that they that they use, and perhaps some level of control or. Um, constraint needs to be applied to the force of mercy and unconditional love. I think that in one of these quotes, they do draw a distinction between balance and polarization. Um, yeah, so um, the indigo ray is open only through considerable discipline and practice, largely having to do with acceptance of self, not only as the polarized and balanced self, but as the creator, as an entity of infinite worth. So it would suggest that, you know, having an open heart and working fully selflessly, I guess the balance comes in with, with wisdom then. Um, and the wisdom of the use of the love, I guess, would, would be um, not, not over, overdoing it with any particular aspect. And it's what you're, what you're describing, I think, with the tree of life. Yeah, which, is, which is interesting because that pillar, the right pillar where love is, is also called the pillar of wisdom. And the other one is understanding, which is what Hokma and Bina, which are the tops of those pillars are. And so it makes perfect sense to that wisdom would balance that out. And yet wisdom comes from the same pillar. Um, so that could be, um, you know, um, semantics though. So yeah, know. who knows what, uh, the differences between understanding and wisdom in our lexicon. 
right? <laughs> yeah. I think generally the 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 difference is, I mean, understanding you can understand that you you know shouldn't smoke three packs a day, but you still do. You know, the wisdom would be implementing it. <laughs> so you can know something, you know, to be true, but still not do it. But the wisdom comes when you when you start to implement it. Yeah, I would agree with that because the Kabbalists, or I should say the the Hermetic lineage anyway, uh, teaches something called the pyramid of progression. And that's where you start with knowledge and through experience that becomes understanding and then as it's applied, you know, having converted into understanding, it becomes wisdom. And then you empty your cup and fall on your face and start over again. But every time you start over again, this pyramid is elevating. You never go back down to the same level where you started, even though it always feels that way. And that's what I usually try to remind friends when they're going through challenges is um and they'll be caught off guard you know like oh why is this so difficult um all of a sudden i you know i really felt like i had it all under control i was just in a flow state and it's like yeah that's kind of how it works you know then you're ready for the next challenge yeah they speak about um trying to look through my notes but they talk about how the adept uh the best way that they can help the creator is to have the experience so one of these yeah that was in one of the ones from this morning or from that mike all right we can continue on then let's uh let's move on to 74 um yeah i think there were a few disclaimers i wanted to put in here too um so they say in 74.6 um the indigo center is indeed the most important work for the adept However, it cannot, no matter how crystallized, correct to any extent whatsoever imbalances or blockages in, in other energy centers. They must be cleared seriatim, which means point by point, one after another, from red upwards. So most of the work that people are always doing is, is work in the lower energy centers, I think. Just continuously keep, keeping those disciplined and refined and crystallized. And then, and you do find that, um, or I've found anyway, that people are um, gravitated. I mean, just like we are in, sort of in our awareness and the, the archetypes, and we all kind of represent different aspects of those. Um, I find the same here that pe some people are gravitated towards the upper spiritual centers and have a little trouble staying rooted and connected, and, and other people are the opposite. Yeah, the Indian uh, philosophy calls them the people that are more rooted in the, and this is a, a crude generalization for anybody that may be watching that truly knows, but like the Vata people are those people that are more heady and they're, they may not be uh, grounded. And the Kapha people may be those people that are too grounded and not heady enough. And they always talk about a balance between the three, the Vata Pitta and the Kapha. And that, that seems like it's what they're talking about here. You know, you have to have red, orange, yellow balanced to use the green springboard to then go to the higher ones. But it starts with, you know, to, you, you have to have that solid base balanced in order to go, go on beyond that. Yep, that is what they say. 
Minimal adequacy, though, which is interesting. It's not that you have to master those lower energy centers. It's that you need to balance them with minimal adequacy. Yeah. Let me read this whole thing now. Session 75 said, uh, the question was, um, you made a statement that the true adept lives more and more as it is. Will you expand upon that statement? And Ross said, each entity is the creator. The entity, as it becomes more and more conscious of itself, gradually comes to the turning point at which it determines to seek either in service to others or in service to self. The seeker becomes the adept when it has balanced with minimal adequacy the energy centers of red, orange, yellow, and blue with the addition of the green for positive, thus moving into indigo work. The adept then begins to do less of the preliminary or outer work having to do with function and begins to affect the inner work which has to do with being. And they've also referred to that as the relationship between space-time and time-space. Uh, space-time is the outer work, time-space is the inner work or the metaphysical dimensions. As the adept becomes more and more consciously crystallized, a, a, a more and more crystallized entity, it gradually manifests more and more of that which it always has been since before time, that is the one infinite creator. <clears throat> That's kind of interesting. It gradually manifests more and more of the one infinite creator as opposed to, I mean, anything that it manifests anyway is automatically the one infinite creator anyway. So is this really just saying that we are now then manifesting more and more? Period. It's like more light. It's like the, 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 the light switch is turning on more and more. And then you're seeing more, I guess. Yeah, I think they, I think they're, they're also talking about because they're, they're mentioning as the adept becomes uh, more consciously crystallized, um, th that is the, the more consciously crystallized red, orange, yellow being, um, you know, red being like shelter. Do I have adequate shelter? Do I have to worry about that? And then orange being, am I okay with myself? Do I worry about that? And then yellow being, am I okay with society and my place in society? And if you have those three balanced and you're okay with those three things, then those are all corporeal. They're all of this world. You know, if you can be okay with these three things and then use that to springboard, I mean, good or evil, because they specifically say for the positive, you can then use green. But if you're okay with those three physical things, whether you're good or evil, you can then springboard ahead. And then once you springboard ahead, you're jumping from the worries and woes of the physical world into the manifestation of uh, what you want around you. So when he says, um, can, you, can you scroll a little bit, Mike, so I can see the bottom there? He says, thank you. He says, uh, the adept becomes more and more consciously crystallized entity and gradually manifests more and more of the one creator. So it's like you're, you're manifesting less within the first three chakras and the worries of the physical world and you're manifesting of the higher up. You're manifesting of that, which is the one infinite creator. You're already taking care of survivally. You're already taking care of yourself and you're already taking care of societally. Mm, right. Yeah, there's a lot to process on this one. Um, the crystallization concept is, did you guys think about the crystallization of the energy centers much? I feel like um, there's there's times when I've known that 
like I I go back into a state of fear on something in, in the past. It's like I, I can tell that I've been hit by something, and that it's like there's like a leg that was knocked out from under me, where I, I was normally having a really good day for for like a, a week straight or something, and then suddenly I'm I'm in like a downward spiral, and it's like whatever that was is clearly not crystallized in my energy center system. But then when I rebuild, rebuild the, the, the pieces of my, my faith, I guess, my um, sense of self, my sense of well-being, when, it, when, when that pieces together again, I can build the structure of my mind, my subconscious mind, in a way that is more of a rigid structure and there's more of a crystallization to it as I become less and less vulnerable to the, the things that knocked me off course previously. Now it's now it's this crystalline thing in my uh, belief and subconscious thought structure that that keeps me more steady and balanced in an open-hearted space to continue in that in that way. I think that has a lot to do with what Andrew was saying earlier, where you know you fill the cup and then you empty the cup out because you've gotten to that point so that you can have the next experience so that you can crystallize again. And then you uh, you lose a little crystallization so that you can observe the next experience and there and and so on and so on like um, you know like the it, it it's it's a funny stupid example but I remember an old video game you'd play basketball and as the the player kept hitting shots and nailing shots they'd be like he's heating up and I think of that like you're crystallized on the on the bottom three and then you're like he's heating up and then you just jump to the next major conflict and be like okay well now these are all broken down again heat them up again <laughs> yeah eighty two point three talks a little bit too it mentions uh, you reminded me when you mentioned architecture or um that it says however the architrave must be in place before the structure is builded um but this has to do with uh doing the work and disciplines of the personality. I don't remember if that was on your list or if I found that this morning when I was searching for that, um, but it's very much about acceptance. Uh, we can look at this. Um, the question was, um, I should read the whole question here. Don, so Jim asked, it seems that my balancing work has shifted more from more peripheral concerns, such as patience and patience, to learning to open myself in an unconditional love, to accepting myself as whole and perfect, and then to accepting myself as the creator. If this is a normal progression of focus for balancing, wouldn't it be more efficient once this is discovered for a person to work on the acceptance of self as creator rather than work peripherally on the secondary and tertiary results of not accepting the self? And Ross said the term efficiency has misleading connotations and the context of doing work in the disciplines of personality in order to be a more full efficiency in the central acceptance of the self it is first quite necessary to know the distortions of the self which the entity is accepting. Each thought and action needs must then be scrutinized for the precise foundation of the distortions of any reactions. This process shall lead to the more central task of acceptance. However, the architrave, which says in classical literature, the lowermost part of a entablature resulting, resting directly on the top of the columns. Um, so, the architrave must be in place before the structure is builded. So I think that definitely relates to this, what we're talking about with the crystallization. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of oh. like they're they're not they're not laying out do this, this, then this, then this. You know, they're saying, like, well, 
what do you mean by full efficiency? The, the, the end goal is the end goal. Build the foundation and then how you get there is how you get there. Well, I think what they're, what they're saying, Jim is saying, hey, if I can just know that I need to accept myself as creator, can I just skip straight to that? And I think what Ra is saying is that first you need to understand why you don't accept yourself as creator. And that's what these thoughts and actions are going to highlight to you. You're going to have distortions and reactions and biases and emotional responses. And they need to come up and, and be expressed in order for you to accept them. Yeah. Yeah. These are the dormant blockages and distortions in the energy centers that are mostly of the red, orange, and yellow, I would assume mainly mostly orange and yellow that, that we have to understand to fully, fully unblock and undam the, the, the flow that, that leads us to the higher activations, I think. Also interesting that I didn't realize I didn't see the um, the footnote there on the architrave, but um, it's interesting that it's saying that this thing that sits on top of columns, which would tell me that it's therefore towards the top of the building, has to be in place before the structure is built. So they're not saying a foundation has to be in place before the structure is built, and they're saying this the ceiling. <laughs> Maybe maybe I should do do a search here on the internet and see what they say. A main beam resting across the tops of columns, specifically the lower third entablature. I maybe I need a, a diagram of this too. Here we go. I'll just open this in a different tab here. Yeah. <clears throat> so the architrave is the lower third of the portion that's sitting on top of the column to support the ceiling, I guess. Right. Um, so I can't tell, of course, if it goes all the way across or if it's just something that goes from column to column. But in either case, it's saying that it needs to be in place before the structure can be built. Yeah, it looks like it goes across. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we're supposed to, um, if there's anything implicit in that or not. But obviously, according to our normal logic, we wouldn't say that something that goes up high would need to be in place before we can build a structure. Unless they're talking about something above it being the important thing to build. That could be too. Yeah. Well, I think that's another study before we touch on that again. Yeah. Um, so we were go jumping back a bit. We were talking about. Wait a minute. He, hold one sec before we go forward, because he was asking. He was asking if he if he needs to know the self. Is that what it was? If I need to know the self, can I not just skip to knowing the self? Is that what he said? Knowing the self as creator. Yeah. And so I, I think what they're saying is that, you know, there's other things more fundamental that you have to know before you can just throw that on. Right. Yeah, I do think that they're saying that I'm I'm yeah. maybe just sort of splitting hairs on 
the architectural front here, but I yeah, think... they didn't say the columns have to be in place. They said the architrave, which is the thing that crosses over the columns. Uh, yeah, exactly. So there's the foundation, the columns, you know, there's, there's some more fundamental stuff under there. Yeah. Right. And yet we're, we're talking about activating a chakra that's higher up, but really they're saying here that the lower ones need to be dealt with first. So the analogy just seems a little bit off in this case, but um, I don't, I don't need to read more into that. I'm, I'm sorry. Have you, have you read the book? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> How often do they just say this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so th th this puts emphasis on the note. And by the way, people should know that um, Toby Wheelock, who runs this website, has made it so that if you go to law of dot one, instead of law of one dot info, just law of dot one, that will automatically turn on the options that will turn on the notes and the um, the audio icons. Huh. And the category. Yeah, that, that note isn't in the book. The note yeah. either. Yeah, I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. That's cool that it's uh it's constantly evolving. We just I need think... that reference manual. Doesn't he reference a reference manual a couple times in the footnotes and the reference manual still isn't out? I don't know about that. I think they released uh part of the reference manual they, re they released like a an index manual where you could look up topics and it would tell you where like a paper version of what the website is maybe we should just look at their website and see what they got now i think they they did release something did they i gotta pick that up then yeah so if we go to um library you know books or browser publications here so they've got uh the raw contact resource series is the new newest one. Oh. The raw contact resource series offers a means by which inspired scholars and seekers may reflect upon the meaning of the law of one and its rich potentials, its rich potentials for application to our daily lives. So they put a lot of interesting uh, concepts in here um, that, that were worthy of expanding on. And look at that, they have an, a section for the adept right at the beginning well good thing my birthday's coming up in august <laughs> <laughs> wow that's neat yeah i haven't gone through all this yet but i think nathan maybe has so maybe we'll, we'll uh, dig into his brain to see what, what he thinks about this wow they even go into the kundalini and all that yeah when did this come out what is that this, this came out 2020 okay yeah, because Mike, I remember when you had when you threw the Ascension Summit, I remember asking you. Now I know you your head was going a million different ways because you were coordinating that whole thing, but I asked you at one point, where's the resource manual? Because they reference it and you said you should talk to them because I don't think it's out yet. And yeah. but that when was the Ascension Summit? Was that 2021? I don't yeah, I don't I don't remember when the timing of all this. Um yeah. Yeah, nice. But, That's uh I'm gonna have to pick that up. And I, they may have intended to have more than this too um, that might not be referenced. They, they might be notes in the, the the newest volumes, the Raw Contact, have more of these notes that reference this. And lawof1.info is kind of a separate resource with separate notes. They yeah. don't really coordinate on the notes, although they probably should. They probably should um, 
but <laughs> it's, it's, it's his own his own person toby wheelock who decided to make this website and make it the best he could for his own personal use and it was kind of just they, he got permission to have the copyright for this particular website and that's LL awesome. research is an organization that's doing everything else nice all right we could jump back into it now um so 74.8 um yeah so so there was a question here how do disciplines of the personality feed the indigo ray energy center and affect the power of the white magician does this question make sense and ross said yes and then the next one answered it they said we would be happy to answer this query we understood the previous query as being of other import the indigo query or maybe what was the other query um uh, i guess that one doesn't doesn't matter now um the indigo ray is the ray of the adept a great deal of the answer you seek is in the sentence there is an identification between the crystallization of that energy center and the improvement of the working of the mind body spirit as it begins to transcend space-time balancing and to enter the combined realms of space-time and time-space so this is re referring to the outer work and the inner work like i said with space-time being the outer work and time-space being the inner work and so this is transcending the balancing of the outer work and entering the combined realms and i think they also say at other points this is something that happens in the fourth density when people are able to see into the metaphysical dimensions without the veil then there's an automatic processing of the metaphysical energies at the same time as the physical energies together and this is something i also think dreams um, are a part of our processing of the time space realms the metaphysical energies yeah. so it's as though the thing that's happening when we're dreaming what we're working on in that plane is what we're working on more consciously as we work on the third eye center mm -hmm. and I, I also think that dreams uh th they show you things that you may be missing as you as you consciously go through life and you're consciously working on things you know no matter how adept you are there's always things that you're missing and i think the dreams kind of kind of like hey remember remember this don't forget this yeah yeah it's 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 i don't know i i know andrew says he can't remember his dreams but i think that a lot of work gets done on like our metaphysical energies in the dream state and it's 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 it seems to be like when i have a, a dream that i remember strongly it seems like it was in, it was like i was really needing that and it's almost like yeah. there's some kind of a switch that is being flipped by my guides or something yeah. or that i wake up at a funky time for example wh where i don't I wouldn't normally wake up in the middle of the night but when i wake up in the middle of the night i can remember a, a particular dream much more strongly then and then it's like oh yeah i got to pay attention to that one mm -hmm. that's something i hadn't been dealing with properly yeah yeah but i have theory, no idea why i don't remember my dreams anymore but um did have a, a friend of ours, a medium, say that she checked in on me one time while I was sleeping and said that I was meditating <laughs> and sort of in this, you know, like golden white light and just, you know, in this sort of Buddha pose kind of meditation. So I have no idea if that's what I'm actually doing when I sleep or not. Mm -hmm. 
So do you guys feel like you have a sense of the the nature of the metaphysical dimensions of time space? I think um, the psychedelics uh, give us insight too. Yeah, exactly. I would say that yeah. because of psychedelics, I have some very small grasp of that, but certainly far more so than I ever would have before. Yeah, I think that you can, uh, psychedelics are, are a good way. I think that if you can get um, to a, a, a point of being able to meditate really well, it's another way to do it. I know I've had times where, um, especially when I've had like lead meditations by, by very, you know, knowledgeable people where I've sat there, I, I sat in meditation one time for two hours. When we came out of it, it seemed like 15 minutes. Everybody looked at their, their clock and was like, Oh my God, is that, that was two hours. I can't. And I think that that right there by definition is when you get out of the place where time takes place linearly and you go to that place where it seems to happen, everything happens at, at the same instance. And then you crash back down into space time and you're like, where do those two hours go? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Time feels very different. I agree. I think that <clears throat> meditation is certainly a way to to get there. And I think with a lot of discipline and a lot of practice that that's what's available on the other side of that. I'm just glad that there's another path to it that allows us to experience it a little bit more often without, you know, committing to 10 years of dedicated meditation practice. And I think this is really related to a lot of, uh, psychic work that you know people are able to get a sense of something that's about to happen in the future or they develop a dialogue with guides that are guiding them um, to make the right choices without them knowing why they're making those choices but just feeling guided to make those choices i think that's walking more into this other realm where you're receiving information through the, the indigo ray for reasons which may be increasingly abstract to you they might not have a tangible physical you know visual framework for why you're making these decisions but the indigo work might be actually understanding that more and more and and then maybe working with guides on the the process of putting together um i, I guess the higher the higher concepts that you're using to to make decisions from and to um have the insight necessary to make decisions and even, they even, talk about that later on or in another one of the um, sections that you brought, I think, with the upward spiral of light and downward and the downward spiral of light being those um, insights and downloads, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it. Can you remember which one was that? Um, 73.8 to 73.11. Where they say upper spiraling light is the, is like the parasympathetic calling of the adept like nerves um uh, calling of the adept is like nerves and muscle that the mind body spirit complex has conscious control is that the way you yeah. talk about yeah i like that by the way i'm not sure if this is exactly what it's saying and yet um these two aspects of consciousness in the kundalini in in which one is it gravitates i think is is almost the best way to put the upward spiral of light in that it's just it can't not go up on its own and that's what they describe as more or less involuntary and i don't know if the calling of the adept is also what's then calling down the light 
um, through the crown chakra or not, but it would kind of make sense that, or at least I could understand how, you know, one half of this function is sort of involuntary and the other one has everything to do with the will. Um, but well, it's, I think in the section just below, it's either in 9, 10 or 11 where it has that other quote. Yeah, this was jumping into the uh, subject of visual, visualization down in um, uh, 73.11. Let me, let me read this though for people listening. Um, the question was, will you speak of the difference between the spiraling light that enters through the feet and the light invoked through the crown chakra? And Ross said the action of the upward spiraling light drawn by the will to meet the inner light of the one infinite creator may be likened to the beating of the heart and the movement of the muscle surrounding the lungs and all other functions of the parasympathetic nervous system, which we talked about in a previous uh, recording about how that's related to, um, or no, am I, am I thinking of that, the same one? Um, the sympathetic relating to the, the heart though is interesting, the word sympathy, sympathetic vibration. Yeah, that was the other one we're talking about was they, they use the word sympathetic vibration. I didn't make the connection until just now. This is probably a separate, um, that could be related the sympathetic vibration was discussed yeah the gateway to intelligent infinity is born of shall we say the sympathetic vibration and balanced state accompanying the will to serve the will to seek and then in this one they're saying um drawn the upward spiraling light is drawn by the will to meet the inner light of the one infinite creator which is likened to the beating of the heart and the movement of the muscles surrounding the lungs and all the other functions of the parasympathetic nervous system that seems a little confusing to me yeah so i see what trish just said there yeah um <clears throat> but it's saying it's drawn by the will and yeah. again not to get lost in semantics but to say that it's the involuntary system that's drawn by the will now that could be the will at a higher level though and so not something that we're consciously aware of Yeah, yeah. So the calling of the adept may be likened to the no, those nerve and muscle actions over which the mind-body-spirit complex has conscious control. So it's coming from the two different directions. The so I the think the, the adept is is invoking the light through the crown chakra. Then, yeah. I think the the perfect balance between these two is is the same thing that if you ever if you've ever done like a guided meditation a lot of people say to focus on the breath and i think that the breath is a beautiful example of the um almost like the gateway between the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system because you know 99 of the time your breathing just happens but you know if you know like that whole breathe into a bag thing if someone's having a panic moment and you can get them to focus their breathing you can then bring it out of the parasympathetic into the sympathetic and therefore uh, control it and use it to uh, calm yourself. Yeah. The breathing is always such a powerful tool. That stimulates the vagus nerve also. Yeah. So, um, Um, maybe we should jump back to the other quote here and finish with the discussion of the pyramid now too. All right. Um, so the Queen's Chamber uh, discussion was um, 
I said this is a, this is a large discussion. Just asking about why why referred to the Queen's Chamber as an initiatory place. They said we cannot describe initiation in its specific sense due to our distortion towards the belief understanding that the process which we offered so many of your years ago was not a bound one. However, you are aware of the concept of initiation and realize that it demands the centering of the being upon the seeking of the creator. We have hoped to balance this understanding by enunciating the law of one, that is, that all things are one creator. Thus, seeking the creator is done not just in meditation and the work of an adept, but in the experiential nexus of each moment. The initiation of the Queen's Chamber has to do with the abandoning of self to such desire to know the Creator in full, that the purified instreaming of light is drawn in balanced fashion through all energy centers, meeting an indigo and opening the gateway to intelligent infin infinity. Thus the entity experiences true life, or as your people call it, resurrection. <clears throat> so, do you take this to mean, so they offered initiation in what they described as an imbalanced capacity and then said we have hoped to balance this understanding by enunciating the law of one as all things are one creator thus seeking the creator is done not just in meditation and the work of that but in the experiential nexus of each moment so do you do you take that to mean that the experiential nexus of each moment was a component that was missing the first go round or do you interpret that they're that they're being clear about how they're balancing what they tried before or or which component was missing? I, I'm gonna try to process this a little bit more here. I've, I've always thought of it as like, um, you know, Ross says that they came down and showed the ancient, uh, I'll say Egyptians, but the Kamishians they were working with them side by side and that their teachings got corrupted. Uh, the way that I always interpreted this portion of it, they were saying that it's almost like if you took someone and you held their hand and showed them how to do something, and then you showed them how to do it again, and you showed them how to do it again, and then you walked away. When you walked away, because you didn't ever let them do it on their own, they didn't fully take it in. And again, coming back to the whole tongue meaning linguistics thing it's because he specifically says that we enunciating the law of one we hope to balance this understanding by enunciating the law of one instead of just showing you the law of one and being there with you who knows maybe they were telepathically showing them the law of one or maybe they were walking them through it with with the tarot or the hieroglyphs on the um in, in the ancient commission times, they were showing them with the hieroglyphs. It's almost like they said, we did too much for you and it became unbalanced. So now we have to take a step back, kind of tell you what it is and then let you go through the experience of life with the, with the verbiage in your mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's almost like they had um, presented a shortcut in a way yeah, and then decided that maybe that wasn't balanced and that knowing how things work or seeing things or opening up the gateway to intelligent infinity, et cetera, may be imbalanced if some of this other work hasn't been yeah. done properly. Yeah. Yeah, like if, if at the Wizard of Oz, Alice went to Oz and immediately saw that there was a man behind a curtain, 
working the wizard, she would have never gone on the journey, you know, and never learned about the cowardly lion and the tin man and all that. She would have immediately been like, oh, that's crap. There's a dude behind a curtain. Yeah, kind of going back to the poker analogy. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So is this, is this the one where they say that the greatest thing the adept can do can uh, be experiencing life? Is this, is this 5724? Yeah, 5724. Can you go in the queen's chamber if you visit the pyramid? I think that's changed over the years. I think, I think I've, seen, I've heard of people who did and people who were blocked from going in. Like uh, the Egyptian um, government there gets to decide Interesting. Well, I'll be there in about a week and a half and I will let you know what's accessible. Oh, nice. <laughs> and even if they don't let you in, you might be able to find somebody who has a way to take take a tour or something that, that might be a another way. A little yeah. off-book excursion. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to uh, look look it up, but I, I used to know, and I, I think the guy, uh, he has, uh, I don't want to say died because he made a big point of it. He has Wested. He has Westing, uh, Al-Abdul Al-Wakim or something like that. He was um, in the lineage of the matriarchy passing down the law. And he used to give tours. And I think he's passed, but his son still gives tours. So, I mean, you know, get as close to the original teachings as you can. I'll have to see if I can find his name and send it over to you. Yeah, that'd be great. But the, uh, the law of one also said that it would uh, the pyramid is now uh something about like a radio not tuned to the right frequency or something like that yeah they need to rotate it yeah it's still it still works but it doesn't work to its fullest because it's not tuned in properly right now yeah they need to they need to rotate it about three degrees (laughs) yeah or or uh you know open all of it up instead of hiding a bunch of it away like many other pyramid structures it is like the piano out of tune. There it is. Yeah. Plays the tune, but oh so poorly. The disharmony mm-hmm. jangles the sensitive. Only the ghost of the streaming still remains due to the shifting of the streaming points, which is in turn due to the shifting elect- electromagnetic fields of your planet, due also to the discordant vibratory complexes of those who have used the initiatory and healing place for less compassionate purposes. And I also wondered if this was partly what they were talking about in that last quote. The less compassionate purposes may have been a side effect of not having the law of one as a part of their their comprehension just having this experience of becoming the creator might have led to more service to self viewing of the creator than than the, the purified service service to other um comprehensions yeah that makes sense and it might have had something to do with um the blue lotus flower i mean they're constantly showing in the hieroglyphs how they're giving the person like the person will have on the uh the man's wig and then they give them the blue lotus flower and then they they don the woman's wig which is said to have more wisdom and then they you know once they have the woman's wig and then they're given the blue lotus again then they get the the snake that comes out which is supposed to show that they have um you know that certain level of intelligence and then they get the the vase that's placed on the head with the with the or the holder and the vase that goes on the head this damn camera keeps following my eyes and it won't let me show (laughs) <laughs> the, the thing gets placed on the head like that and it shows that they have the knowledge and that they use the knowledge i i always think that was is the blue lotus you know like um 
like a more potent well maybe it's the blue lotus with their teachings that is this potent connection to creator and then did they take that and be like i can do whatever i want i'm the creator i can make whatever i want you know you will be my slave like oh no you took that wrong yeah i don't know that it does anything on its own i've talked to a few people who have experimented with it and <clears throat> the most likely scenario it seems like i've heard is that it was mixed with wine at the yeah. time well yeah. you took ayahuasca and and you didn't if you've only dmt portion and you didn't take the MOI, you wouldn't really get anything either yeah so it could be that they need to go together and it could be that there was a different uh species of blue lotus that has been true not not passed down to the common population or a different species of human. Christ, let's go there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's. I, I was thinking this was this was a good jumping off point to um, uh, overall overview of some of this this concept of uh, the the nature of the light in order to dive into the visualization and then maybe talk about the motion more. We have time. Um, yeah, I thought the visualization is pretty interesting that they say that it's basically only useful for raising the vibration of the planet. I was kind of confused by that because I would have thought that would have been a pretty fundamental component of most magical workings. And yet they kind of pigeonholed it a little bit. Yeah. Um, But I think that maybe there's different kinds of visualization, um, and maybe they're um, referring to the the an exercise of visualization rather than an application of visualization. If that makes sense, um, uh, I don't know. I might need you to say it in other words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's let me read this here. Sure. Um, so the the question was. Um, does it produce more usable results in meditation to leave the mind as blank as possible, let it run down, or is it better to focus in meditation on some object or something for concentration? And then Ross said, each of the two types of meditation is useful for a particular reason. Passive meditation involving clearing of the mind, emptying of the mental jumble, which is characteristic of mind complex activity among your peoples is efficacious for those whose goal is to achieve an inner silence as a base from which to listen to the creator. This is useful. A useful and helpful tool and is by far the most generally useful type of meditation as opposed to contemplation or prayer so um the, the type of meditation which may be called visualization has as its goal not that which is contained in the meditation itself so i so that makes me wonder if contemplation and other kinds of meditation might involve images um that are not the same thing as this visualization that's one clue and they say visualization is the tool of the adept those who learn to hold visual images in mind are developing an inner concentrative power that can transcend boredom and discomfort when this ability has become crystallized in an adept the adept may then do polarizing in consciousness without external action which can affect the planetary consciousness this is the reason for the existence of the so-called white magician only those wishing to pursue the conscious raising of planetary vibration will find visualization to be a particularly satisfying type of meditation. I think that that last line answers what you're asking, Andrew. 
because it's it, they're not saying that only for the um the the raising of planetary consciousness they're saying that when you use it for the raising of planetary consciousness only then will you find it satisfying you know like some people may use it and do that whole vision board thing and put a lamborghini in their mind and visualize lamborghini into their existence but that's not going to make you happy you're not going to be satisfied huh okay that's one way to say it yeah i guess i could see that um they also say about the affecting of the planetary consciousness that was kind of interesting that they say that um that that can be done basically mentally but they're not saying exclusively but it does say yeah when this ability has become crystallized in an adept the adept may then do polarizing in consciousness without external action which can affect the planetary consciousness well is that implicitly saying that external action in and of itself cannot affect the planetary consciousness because that doesn't seem super likely <clears throat> They, but, I don't even think they're saying anything like that specifically. They're just yeah, saying that this the, can also affect the planetary consciousness. Yeah, I don't think it's the if this, then not that type situation. I think it's this and that. But if you do it this way, it's it's more of an effect. Yeah, I guess so. So so polarizing in consciousness without space time. So external action is done in space time, which means that the vibration sent out is going to be relative to you know the proximity you hold to other consciousness as opposed to what's being done in consciousness without external action is done irrespective of space time and therefore done in time space and therefore probably much more effective at um raising the vibration of the planet as a whole so i guess it does make a lot of sense actually i guess the the concept of the exercise i was confusing with this other quote here 42.13 where they, they ask for exercises don't ask for exercises to help increase attention span um and they said the visualization of a shape and color which is a personal inspirational quality to the meditator is the heart of what you would call the religious aspects of this sort of visualization and then the visualization the visualization of simple shapes and colors which have no innate inspirational quality form the basis of what you may call your magical transitions magical traditions and whether you image the image, whether you image the rose or the circle is not important. However, it is suggested that one or other path towards visualization be chosen in order to exercise this faculty. Um, and then um, I think it was maybe session um, 50 where they talked about the adept. Right, right. So um, this one was, how does the bill, this was an explana explanation of what we read here. Only those wishing to pursue the conscious raising of planetary vibration will find visualization to be a particularly satisfying type of meditation. And Don asked about that specifically, how does this ability um, do polarization and consciousness without external action? And then Ross said, um, this is not a simple query for the adept is one which will go beyond the green ray which signals entry into harvestability. So this is talking about the higher energy centers now. The adept will not simply be tapping into intelligent energy as a means of readiness for harvest, but tapping into both intelligent energy and intelligent affinity 
for the purpose of transmuting planetary harvestability and consciousness. The means of this working lie within. The key is first silence and secondly singleness of thought, thusly a visualization which can be held steady to the inward eye for several of your minutes as you measure time will signal the adept's increase in singleness of thought. This singleness of thought can be used by the positive adept to work in group ritual visualizations for the raising of positive energy by negative adepts for the increase in personal power. So I guess I was wrong in saying that this was um, the entirety of what visualization is, is the exercise. What they're talking about, the other one was the fact that once you do the exercises of visualization, that increases your um, ability to hold for several of your minutes. If you can, if you can hold an image in your mind set for, for several minutes, this increases your ability to have a singleness of thought. And then the singleness of thought is what's so useful in doing, and it's, they specifically say group here, but they didn't say group in the other one, I don't think. But they say working with group ritual, ritual visualization is what will raise positive energy um, for um, the planet, I guess. Well, we have a direct example of this when, um, and now I'm going to butcher all the details, but it was like a group of monks or a group of, of uh, meditators went to Washington, D.C., and all sat and meditated on peace. And they had like a statistical drop in the crime rate during that time. I can't yeah. remember. It was called the something in Washington, but they actually measured a physical difference in the crime rate when people sat and meditated on peace in a group. I remember hearing about that too. So I definitely makes you think, oh, sorry, Mike, but it just makes you think if they shut off the news and stopped pumping all that crap into, into the, the general thoughts of everyone for like an hour, you know? Yeah. <laughs> How about that? If, if news was oriented towards aspirational, mm -hmm. that'd be awesome. Yeah. I, yeah, there's, there's a, I had found, I don't have it readily on hand, but I saw like there's a, a document you can find that has a list of the 50 studies that were done just like that. Yeah. Many, many different variations on that that were done. Yeah. John, uh, John Hagelin describes it very well in his interviews in uh, What the Bleep. And he, um, I was trying to figure out how I could work it into like sharing the screen and all that on the iPad, but I didn't figure it out. But I, I, uh, I was listening to that earlier because it sparked in my mind. But if you look up John Hagelin, PhD on consciousness, there's two videos and it's all of his talks from what the bleep all linked together. And he, he just puts it poetically because he's a quantum physicist. He takes, he takes the physical study of the universe and the study of consciousness and just molds them perfectly because he has such an in-depth uh, knowledge base of both of them. And he's basically saying that, you know, the, the more we study the physical world and the more we try and break it down into smaller and smaller pieces, the more we get to that point where we realize it, 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 it's all one and it comes from this sea of potentiality. And the observer, once the observer gets involved, they start to lay down what's going to happen from this sea of potentiality. And he, but he puts it in a beautifully scientific way. So 
I think that, um, yeah, the, 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 the key teaching here in this passage is that um, visualization, if we, if we practice it more, it, it can um, give us an ability that we wouldn't have without the exercise. So I think that this is actually one of the most useful teachings in the, in the material is that um, if you can hold the, the, an image, even though it might not make sense if it's not an inspirational image, holding any image can then increase our ability to do other visualizations such as visualizations for world peace, where maybe we have a lot of biases and emotions that come up when we try to do that meditation as we try to think about world peace or something like that. Yeah. But maybe maybe having the 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 mind trained is 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 one of the keys to to activating this this indigo ray function. Yeah, and if you were thinking of world peace and then the biases started creeping in, that would be you falling out of the singleness of mind. You know, right. so it's like training yourself to to um I know that in the, the Ayurvedic speaking, they say neti neti, not this, not this. You know, it's like certain thoughts try and enter in as you're doing meditation, and you just kind of have to acknowledge them and let them go instead of dwelling on them. Right. There we go. I think Don just said it. It was 4,000 transcendental meditators. Yep. There's a website called Invincible Defense Technology where they published a bunch of those papers too, I think. Yep. Um, and that so, just goes to show you, you have to seek. You know, the, the, the information's out there. You just have to look for it. Yeah. Um, so, say 3.8, is that the one that we were reading before? Um, yeah, we stopped at 73.8. Right. But you were, you were saying until 73.11. Yeah, let's go, let's go on to, uh, so the next one he asked was, after talking about the, the light meeting between the, upward and downward using the parasympathetic, which is the unconscious and the sympathetic, which seems to be really more of the conscious control of the systems of our body. And then Ross, uh, Don asks, um, I believe I'm correct in saying that where the two directions meet, you have a measure of the development of any particular mind, body, spirit complex. Am I correct? And Ross says, this is correct. This is what they referred to as the Kundalini, um, the meeting place of the inner and outer natures. And, uh, and then in the next one, uh, Don said, in invoking the alerted light, then it would seem to me that the visualization or of the invocation would be dependent upon what the use was to be of the light. The use could be for healing, could be for communication, or could be for the general awareness, you might say, of the creation of, and the creator. Would you please speak upon this process and my correctness in making this assumption? And Ross said, we shall offer some thoughts, though it is doubtful that we may exhaust the subject. Each visualization, regardless of the point of the working, begins with some work within the indigo ray. As you may be aware, the ritual which you have begun is completely working within the indigo ray. I think they may refer to the channeling, um, or the ritual before the channeling. Oh, I think he's, yeah, he's talking about the middle pillar exercise. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 73.5 exercise in the middle pillar. Um, so this is well for, um, yeah, completely working within the indigo ray. This is well for it is the gateway. From this beginning, light may be invoked for communication or for healing. You know, it's interesting. Um, Don does in a different question when he's asking about shouldn't the visualization actually in that question up there, 73.5, he asks, shouldn't this visualization go reverse? Shouldn't it go from the feet upward, not from, or shouldn't it go from the head downward, not from, sorry. He's asking, shouldn't it go from the feet upward because you've told us that the spiraling light goes upward? Yeah. Says um, no. And what's interesting is that the middle pillar exercise, so they're talking about the energy centers, but the middle pillar exercise actually has one, two, three, it has four stops. It's not seven. Um, it's, it starts at the crown and then it kind of goes to the throat pretty well centered there. And then the next one is sort of between the heart and the solar plexus more or less. And then the last one's down near the hara or the sacral chakra so it's kind of interesting that it doesn't include all um seven of the chakras the middle pillar exercise right but it does include them in the way that ross speaks where he says that the first three have to be balanced to then springboard onto the to springboard from the heart to the next so if you group the bottom three together well where they are on the the tree here um keter would be the crown and da'at actually in the in the name of god that's invoked in the middle pillar exercise um the the spot that it's attributed to is da'at which is the hidden sephira there in the middle and then the next one down would be tifera and then the bottom would be malkuth i think you said is probably the one that's skipped in that case um but that is the middle pillar, obviously, that we're looking at there. I assume this is a little bit fuzzy in the sense that um, these concepts kind of have a combination of chakras in some of them. Yeah, um, or, or some of them might group the, the chakras together, though. Ra, in some of the sessions that you sent over um, for this discussion, actually, talks about primary um chakras versus basic chakras and in fact that one that you had read you skipped that paragraph it kind of ends one paragraph a little bit confusingly and says that okay this goes to the heart and then it says this is also not a primary center but i think it clarifies after that and is saying that the heart is in fact a primary energy center so <clears throat> to me that's kind of interesting in and of itself that raw differentiates between a primary energy center and a, and a basic one yeah, he calls the, the red and the yellow foundation. And then he goes, he skips straight over orange and goes right to green and then calls green a primary, I believe. Um, he, he calls red and yellow foundational, skips orange. And yeah, yeah, here it is. Uh, spiritual work, third primary ray. Able to begin potentiation. Um, well, I'm, I'm pulling up different quotes right now, kind of curious okay. about what, what they say about the primary centers. Um, but they do talk about secondary 
points of energy centers um, too, uh, um, and that there's even tertiary um, energy centers. Um, yeah. So yeah, the tertiary energy centers, they spoke very little of. Um, it's just a suggestion that there's these complex spiraling energies. Um, And it's possible that they don't say that the, the green is a primary because the green is not even activated by the, the negative adept um, then, in order for the whole system to be working. I may have found it. It's uh, 39.10. Okay. Is that first one that you'd gone to. And yeah, that's the, that's the one where he says uh, he, he differentiates between foundation and primary. Yeah, and then you could, yeah, so it is the foundation ray talking about the red ray. And then in the next paragraph, you can say the next foundation is yellow, mm -hmm. which is called a stepping stone. So it goes from red to yellow in terms of foundation. Mm -hmm. um, and then it potentiates its false balance. The strong red, orange, yellow triad springboards the entity into the center of green ray. This is again a basic ray, but not a primary ray. So what is this when it refers to that? Because I read that originally as green and yeah. going, wait, that's a basic ray, not a primary? Right, yeah, they, they spoke about that in other places too. But in the next paragraph, it then says, when green ray has been activated, we find the third primary ray being able to begin potentiation. Which is the blue. Oh, which is the blue, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it is saying that green is a basic ray, and right? not foundation, not primary wow yeah the blue ray is the first true spiritual ray and then all transfers are over an integrated mind body spirit nature but i think they discussed this at another point and i think we discussed in a different recording um but if if i yeah just search for primary there's a, there's a lot said about it um so where else do they say that um, green ray is the movement through various experiences of energy exchanges having to do with compassion and all forgiving love to the primary blue ray, which is the first ray of radiation of self, regardless of any actions from another. Uh. The green ray entity is ineffectual in the face of blockage from other selves. The blue ray entity is a co-creator. This may perhaps simply be a restatement of previous activity if you could consider the function of the logos as representative of the infinite creator and effectuating the knowing of the creator by the creator, you may perhaps see the steps by which may this may be accomplished. So I guess um, there was some ambiguity also if people, if, uh, in some part of the material, uh, Ross says that the Blu-ray is part of the negative uh, adepts use of, of expression and at another point they they suggest that it isn't but it's i think it i think it is based on what this is saying too that the blu-ray is a part of whether you're negative or positive you're you're teaching the nature of the creator at that point um and the green ray is just a part of like our i guess our inner processing of 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 building the compassion necessary to fully activate the outward expression of that awareness of oneness 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It says that the green ray entity is ineffectual in the face of blockage from other cells. So does that mean if you're feeling particularly green ray activated and somebody is not um, vibrating similarly, that you're ineffectual, I guess is what it's saying. Without the blue ray. <clears throat> uh, because the blue ray then allows you to broadcast the knowing of the self as creator. Yeah, I uh, guess, yeah, it's very confusing that there's a primary, secondary, and even tertiary. <laughs> and this kind of makes sense because the the hermetic laws that line up with these are rhythm for the heart chakra and then vibration for the throat chakra. And so rhythm has to do with um, this concept or energy of, of getting into um, sympathy, a sympathetic vibration, like you were saying earlier, Mike, and vibration seems to be um, maybe more intentional about what, what that really um, is, or maybe being more deliberate about the vibration that we're putting out. Right. So um, we were talking about 73.11 initially, trying to get there. Um, okay, so yeah, we're talking about um, each visualization, regardless of the point of the working, begins with some work within the indigo ray, um, which I guess is also a secondary center with the violet being the... No, I guess the three primary rays are red, yellow, and blue. So those are the primary um, ways of being active as a co-creator. Um, but I guess it doesn't really matter if we call it um, primary, secondary, it still has use for the, the work being done. Um, as you may be aware, the ritual which you have begun, the middle pillar, is completely working within the indigo ray. This is well for it as the gateway. And this beginning light may be invoked for communication or for healing. You may note that in the ritual which we offered you to properly begin the rock workings, the first focus is upon the creator. I think that might have been the statement that they had in session two. Um, I can pull up that up pretty quickly. So they had said, um, what is the law? The law is one. Why are we here? We seek the law of one. Why do we seek Ra? Ra is the humble messenger of the law of one. Um, they, they, they did other things too. They did the um, banishing ritual of the lesser pentagram. And they had some other recommendations. Um, and then the cross, um, which I believe is the Kabbalistic cross. Um, we talked about that in a previous session as well. Okay, so then they say we would further note a point which is both subtile, subtile means rare or delicate or fine and of some interest, the upward spiraling light developed in its path by the will and ultimately reaching a, a high place of mating with the inward fire of the one creator is only preparation for the work upon the mind, body, spirit, which may be done by the adept. 
there is some crystallization of the energy centers used during each working so that the magician becomes more and more that which it seeks. And that could be like you were talking about earlier, Mike, where, you know, you, you feel like you, your energy center is becoming more and more crystallized, more and more crystallized. You know, that's, that's what you get. Um, as you, as you do the, the work, the magician becomes more and more that which it seeks, but then eventually, you know, you get knocked down and have to learn that same lesson in a more intense way almost. Yeah. Um, I think we already covered this in the previous one too, about the, um, the time space, mind, body, spirit analog, which is evoked as the magical personality, which, um, we talked about as the higher self has its only opportunity to gain rapidly from the experience of the catalytic action available to the third density space-time mind, body, spirit. Thus the adept is aiding the creator greatly by offering the great catalyst to a greater portion of the creation which is identified as the mind-body-spirit totality of an entity. So as you become more and more um, the one infinite creator, you're becoming more and more of the higher self too, which is like this separate six-dimensional aspect of yourself becoming more engaged and learning through the process of working, I guess from, a, from more of a timeless state, it seems like this is the, this could be why they're talking about the space-time and time-space aspects becoming more unified because there's more of a timeless aspect of the self that's working through the physical when you're becoming more and more magic personality, the higher self. Right. It's bringing it into space time and it's able to, to learn from catalyst. I think a lot faster than we are. Yeah. Yep. So this might've been too random to jump around, but, um, I think I wanted to get to 74, uh, 16 last time. Um, and this is just touching on some of the white magician stuff that relates to the indigo ray and the adept. Um, and this will probably have to cover this subject more next time, hopefully with Nathan. He was very excited to cover some of this stuff, I think. Um, so, this was in the context of um, in selecting a protective ritual, we agreed upon the banishing ritual of the lesser pentagram. I assume that these sound vibratory complexes, we know the, the words that they're saying during the ritual are the type you speak for the alerting of those on the inner planes. Is this correct? And then where do they speak about the alerting? Is that, was that 12? You stated that a working of service to others has the potential of alerting a great mass of light strength could you describe just exactly how this works and what the uses of this would be? Ross said there are sound vibratory complexes which act much like the dialing of your telephone when they are appropriately vibrated with accompanying will and concentration. It is as though many upon your metaphysical or inner planes received a telephone call. This call, they answer by their attention to your working. So when I first learned that reading the, um, I don't know, Manly P. Hall maybe, Back when I first started studying this, it kind of freaked me out that like just reading a book with names in it could actually like be invoking entities um, that are that were associated with these magical traditions. 
I think specific ones, if you scroll down a little um, to the next, let's see here, um, a little bit more. There we go. Um, so it says in constructing ritual, it's well to study the body of written work, which is available for names of positive or service to others. Powers are available. And that's, I believe, why so much white magic revolves around like the 72 names for God and archangels and those types. That's how I interpret that. Right. Yeah. Are there names that you invoke specifically? You have you guys have any tie to? I mean, I, I like the, you know, Yod Hey, Vav Hey, and um Jehoshua. I I just go straight to the common ones. For sure. Um, the lesser banishing ritual actually has four of them in it, and then it's got four archangels. So it has um Yodhe, Vavhe, Adonai, Ehe, and Agala, um, which is A-G-L-A, which is actually an acronym, um, which is very interesting. A lot of um relatively ancient Hebrew is actually acronyms. Um, but anyway, it's got those four names for God, and then it's got um Michael. Gabriel, Raphael, and Uriel is the archangels in it. Mm -hmm. That was my favorite interpretation of hieroglyphs too, Andrew, was that each hieroglyph was more like an acronym and less like a, a letter or a word. Yeah, it was more the energy that was present then. Yeah. yeah. I've done a, um, a meditation on the 108, I believe it was, 108 names of God in the Indian traditions. And... Uh, I mean, I could not, I could not recite all 108. We, we were led by uh, the, the guy who was teaching us. And he would say, uh, in, in Sanskrit, he would basically say, like, I, I call and invoke the name of God and then say a different name of God each time. And we would say, um, uh, in, in Sanskrit, we would say, I believe it was, uh, amen, I hear, I say. And after that was, that was a really cool, I, I, I just, it, I felt so light afterwards, after we did that meditation. That's interesting. Um, there are some in the Sophia code too. I just remembered um, I'm on the third code right now, which is the one after Hathor. Oh, it's um, green Tara. Um, she provides some um, mantras, even in Sanskrit um in that as well and, and, and is, explains how they work and says when you say this out loud this is exactly what it means and what you're doing this book yeah that's the one um there's some things like you know words like dragon tribe um that obviously you have to either um transcend your resistance to or not have a a problem with to begin with um it's also as you can see they're also told um, almost entirely from the divine feminine christ perspective which is also um pretty interesting um but the activations that are in them um seem pretty powerful and there's uh, eight ascended masters in them um that are listed there a little bit below and um it's very very interesting but if you're looking for certain incantations or or um, ancient kind of words of power. Um, there's some in here. I've also done meditation on sacred geometry. Uh, that's been pretty, pretty fruitful. Yeah. I've thought a lot about sacred geometry too. 
I've specifically done meditation on uh, thinking with uh, the Merkaba and, and specifically just meditated and held the, the visualization of the, the Merkaba um, like rotating. And that, that's been pretty fruitful. Yeah, that's supposed to be the vehicle of ascension, which to me kind of makes sense because I know it's not a pyramid, it's two tetrahedrons, though um, <clears throat> it still makes me feel like light is being drawn in both directions of those um, opposing tetrahedrons. Certainly makes sense. I mean, they even say that the cone shape and uh, and any kind of shape that comes to a point at the top has a okay. similar effect to the pyramid. Perfect. Yeah, then that kind of makes sense. I did see a very interesting program um, from Matthias de Stefano, I think, once that kind of walked through the progression of, of um, the sacred geometry as well. And it may have started even with the point and the point in the circle, and, um, but gets to the tetrahedron. And then um, next is the Merkaba. And then the, that actually um, becomes the cube, which um, is then an inverse, or what do they call the, the platonic solids, each of them, or um, they have an inverse, basically. So with the cube, you've got six sides and eight corners, and the octahedron, you have eight sides and six corners. So they're, um, I think they're called inverse, but the same goes with the icosahedron and the dodecahedron. It's 12 and 20 um, reversed, and that's how they that's actually how they morph and evolve um, through creation is the tetrahedron, the Merkaba, the cube, the octahedron, the icosahedron, and the dodecahedron. I will say it certainly was profound to me to start meditating in a pyramid and realize how much of, you know, it doesn't matter. The physical properties of the pyramid don't matter. The, 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 the material matters a little bit as long as it's a natural material and the the like the amount of material in the pyramid doesn't matter it's the it's simply the shape the shape alone is the funneling mechanism and the shape it, it is there's no um people have speculated like if it's a copper pyramid is it is there something magnetic about it and, and it's the same thing with wood whether it's copper or wood or plastic pvc piping works the same they talk about this in the material as long as it doesn't have like heavy tin, metal i think yeah um like steel won't work, um, but but th but this goes to show that there's um, like there's a metaphysical connection that is the the potent thing, and and the physical side of it it doesn't not going to logically seem um, seem to be make sense to us why why this would be a powerful thing, um, and and this is also I think something I've had to process with with these magical white magical systems where um it doesn't necessarily make sense to me why vibrating different phrases is doing something except for the fact that there there is a metaphysical reason behind those phrases coming into our consciousness and being used a particular way um so i just wanted to tie us back to this quote here um where uh, don asked i'll make an analogy to the loudness of ringing of the telephone and using the ritual as the efficiency of of the practitioners using the ritual. Uh, I see several things affecting the efficiency of the ritual. First, the desire of the practitioners to serve, their ability to invoke the magic personality, their ability to visualize while performing the ritual, 
And let me ask you the relative importance of those items and how they may be intensified. And Ross said, this query borders upon overspecificity is, is most important for the adept to feel its own growth as teach learner. We may only say that you recognize the paramount importance of the magical personality. This is a study in itself, which we're attempting to go through here. <laughs> yeah. With the appropriate emotional will, polarity and purity, work may be done with or without proper sound vibration complexes. However, there is no need for the blunt instrument when the scalpel is available. So this suggests that the body itself that is vibrating the words, not just thinking them, but saying them out loud. The body is like a, an instrument being used by the higher self that's becoming this fine-tuned, um, precise device. As we vibrate the words, we become more, more one with that vibration of what those words are connected to in the metaphysical dimensions. And so we're, become, we're becoming that, that higher aspect through the focused use of our, our vehicle in the, towards the magical, I guess, the magical um, goals. I feel like the words themselves are also the bridge. Um, I've mentioned this before, but in white magical operations, there's a requirement for something to happen in the physical. Um, now, I think that Ra clearly outlines that for you know an advanced adept that that's maybe not completely necessary, but as they teach people first learning magic, that that's a requirement in order for this thing to manifest in physical reality. The ritual itself has to has to contain something that happens in physical reality. And so the incantation or invocation to me is what's bringing the energy out of the metaphysical and out of the spiritual realms and into physical reality. Because when we say something, that puts a vibration within the the context or within the the third and fourth dimensional realities that we exist in here and so that's why it feels like a bridge to bring those in yeah yeah um i had a i had a powerful experience in church just this morning actually um with um activating something that doesn't normally seem to be activated in me um, but they but they asked this question here when um talking about the um, the telephone call through the different phrases and vibrations of the voice. Um, Don asked, the ones most obvious in our society are those used in the church rather than those used by the magical adept. What is the difference in the effect of those used, say, in the church and our various churches, and those specifically magical incantations used by the adept? And Ross said, if all in your churches were adepts consciously full of will, of seeking, of concentration, of conscious knowledge of the calling. So, so these are, uh, there would be no difference. So these are four different components here. They're saying um, the will, the seeking, the concentration, and the knowledge of the calling. Yeah, so I, elements. yeah I really like um, what they're saying below that as well the last um their desire to seek the altered state of consciousness that they're yeah. shooting for and i yeah. love that that's what we're really talking about which i know that we always you know acknowledge that but it's nice to make sure it's present yeah the the, the efficacy the efficacy of the calling is a function of the magical qualities of those who call that is their desire to seek and the altered state of consciousness desired yeah so when I was reading this, I, I read it as 
the emotional will, the polarity and the purity of the work or the scalpel. And then the vibrational sound that you actually make was the blunt instrument. And it was almost like if it, they, they were restating, you know, if you had people that were uh, of the right will with the right polarity and the right purity of the work and you sat and had that meditation, you would be using the scalpel and you would be putting that out into the world. Right. But it, it doesn't really work that way in church because we're not being taught by and large a lot of the truth and there's a lot of fear being injected. And so when they were saying um, you have to have the will and the seeking, mm -hmm. um, what they're accepting and quite often being taught in certain churches um, is is that you're not calling, is that actually there is a difference between you and the Christ in that yeah. It was, it was a one-shot deal. It's something else and beyond and outside of you. And therefore, you are not consciously knowledgeable of the fact that you are calling that Christ into your own yeah. manifestation. So I, I think they described this pretty well in that it, it's all about how you show up and what you expect to get out of your work. Yeah. yeah, I think that's why at the beginning of that answer there, he puts that huge qualifier you know, if all in your churches were adepts and then continues on, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not necessarily a given just because you're in this place kind of saying these words, you know, it, it's certainly not just going to happen if you don't have the background and the, the true intent behind it. Right. Like it says concentration. Well, if you're concentrating on fire and brimstone, <laughs> yeah, then that's kind of where you're manifesting from. And I always, I mean, I've said it to you guys a million times, but I always say the universe does not hear negative. So if you're trying to concentrate on avoiding fire and brimstone, no fire and brimstone, the universe doesn't hear no. It only hears what you're consciously focusing on, and that's fire and brimstone. Yeah. And that, and that is purely a, a, um, uh, a personal belief. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily say that anywhere in any other things. Right. But the energy of fire and brimstone is that of punishment, which reinforces yeah. guilt and shame. And that's why it's that's why it's not healing. We're we're being reinforced that we are in fact imperfect and are constantly being judged. So I mean, obviously just not super helpful, but <laughs> Ra, you know, I think sums it up pretty well here. There are certainly different kinds of churches and different kinds of um churchgoers yeah and, and uh it, it it does seem like there's there's people who um <laughs> the the fire and brimstone is such a tiny box in their mind yeah <laughs> it's just a question mark sometimes like i'll deal with that later <laughs> yeah right. yeah you're right not every church emphasizes the same yeah. points which i think is great and that's probably why we have so many denominations even of christianity let alone the other major right. religions as well yeah and even just the specific individuals within each church yeah. you know i grew up i went to um catholic school k through 12 and i lived next to the primary school the k through eight so you know i i was right there i lived next to the graveyard and I met all the deacons that came through and all of the priests that came through and we were playing in the parking lot and I mean, there was all shapes and sizes and, and their beliefs came in all shapes and sizes. Mm. You know, but they were all seeking priesthood. 
it was just some of them seemed to uh seem to embody it and some of them seem to just kind of be studying it interesting yeah i've noticed there's actually it seems like in pro protestant churches i've attended there's actually a fear of even asking people what they believe and even going down those roads it's <laughs> like people people want to keep the peace more than they want to actually dive into the belief system and so you end up having a very positive atmosphere you can have a very positive atmosphere of people who are seeking um and if they emphasize the positive things that they're seeking then that can be reinforced and yeah I've, I've gained a lot from group worship that seems to be how politics go too yeah. they want to talk about how to fix the road but nobody ever wants to fix the road like they want to keep the peace like oh, you know, let's just get some stuff done guys <laughs> yeah but I, but I do feel like there's a preservation of pre -will, free will thing going on too that people can um people can have everything that they might want out of religion they can have the ability to guilt others if they if they have that authority structure system in place and they can have the ability to love others unconditionally with the words of jesus and it's it's like this balanced um system where people can kind of use it for their own agenda and, and continue to fit in with the with the structure i got you that, that makes a lot more sense it's it's more of a free will type structure as opposed to uh just not wanting to to lay down the specificity of it it's kind of like leaving it interpretive or leaving it up to interpretation yeah if you can forgive the people who have the, dis, the disagreeing beliefs <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> I've, I've yeah i've talked with many people who who tried to go to church after studying a lot of other things and it's like they're having you know fights in their mind and they, and they get so angry listening to the sermons that they can't they can't deal with it and i was yeah. in that place for many years and it's almost like layers started to break away off of my my ego as a process of, of of saying it's it's okay for people to have these other beliefs where they're emphasizing the value of the fruits of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil <laughs> instead of <laughs> the release of those <laughs> yeah. i always love how beautifully you can you can spin something with light and love mike <laughs> yeah yeah all right we're at we're at two hour mark i guess it's been a good meeting and i excited to dive more into some of these other um, white magical discussions in the future i think it was it worked out perfectly because I, I also know that nathan was excited to talk about some of these things so you know all of our little asides wasted just enough time to make it perfect for nathan to come in when we got there yep yeah perfect as always yeah and as always i've forgotten to look at the chat most of the time but thank you trish we could we could uh, end, potentially end the recording right now and then open it up to other people for a few minutes too if we want that seems appropriate <laughs>